Welcome to Outreach Church. Thanks for checking out this week's message. To hear more, subscribe to our podcast on iTunes or visit OutreachChurch.net for downloads and service information. You know, we all, every one of us is created in His image and His likeness, and every one of us carries something that we all need. That's why we're called to walk in unity together as a body. <clears throat> and, you know, when Paul was talking about that, he said, if the, if the foot says, I'm just a foot, I'm not necessary, he says, it doesn't mean the foot's not necessary. It just means the body suffers because the foot's not doing what the foot's supposed to do. And so whether you realize your place or not has nothing to do with whether or not you have a place. It just means that until you realize I'm important and I matter, that the body suffers because what God created you to do isn't being done. Um, <clears throat> I was talking to uh, the first service I shared this. I wanted to. Did anybody hear about what happened in Hawaii yesterday? Yeah. So, yesterday morning, uh, I got a phone call from a friend who comes to church here, and he said, Hey, uh, he said, I'm not even sure why I'm calling, but I felt like I should call you. Um, we just got an alert popped up on all of our phones here at the hotel and everybody, I guess, in the whole entire state of Hawaii that says that there is an incoming missile threat and that we should seek shelter and that this is not a drill. He said, and, and nobody knows what to do. He said, we were all just having breakfast outside on the beach and at the hotel. He said, people are panicking. There's people that are putting, you know, opening manholes and putting their kids down in the, in the sewer drains and and people are, you know, crashing cars and, and people, I mean, you can see the footage of it. People just fleeing, running down the road. They don't even know where they're going. They're just running. And uh, for 38 minutes, I guess, from the time that was sent out to the time that the next text was sent out, no one knew what was going on. And, um, <clears throat> and so I, I just was talking to him and, and I said, well, you, you don't sound like you're afraid. He said, I'm not. And I said, you know, you know what's awesome? I said, is that Right now is an amazing time for you to go and release the peace that you carry. Because yeah. here's the thing. When, when you get a message like that on your phone, and it literally says there is a missile coming, take cover immediately, this is not a drill, that's a hard time to try to find peace. That's a hard time to try to find an, an anchor for your soul. But it's a great time to prove what your soul's anchored in. It's a great time to walk in the peace that you carried before that text came. And I said, you know, right now you can go and actually release the peace that you carry and you can go and you can calm people down that are freaking out and you can start declaring the promises of God and the protection of God over their lives. And he said, that's what I want to do. And so we prayed and, and, um, and he went off to do that. And then I guess it was probably about 15 minutes later um, another alert came out that said false alarm. And they're still not sure exactly how it happened, but they were testing the system that they were trying to put in place because of the North Korean threat. And so they've resurrected the old Cold War uh, alarm sirens and all that. But with, along with that, they have the new technology, just the same way they do an Amber Alert where it pops up on your phone without you giving it permission. They have a system that can sh- push that message to every iPhone uh, or smartphone on in a vicinity, and so that's what happened. Somehow that got pushed out, and it took 38 minutes for them to correct it. For 38 minutes, people were able to see what they really believed. 
and I, and I was I was we were talking about that. I have another friend that lives over. Some of you guys know Matt, and I called him. Or I texted him. I said, "Hey, bro, did you guys get a a thing about a a, a nuclear or, or about a missile?" And he goes, "Yeah, man, it was a false alarm." He said, "But I was ready, bro." <laughs> He said, it was an amazing time to evangelize. <laughs> no joke. He said, people were panicking and freaking out. He's like, and I was telling them, like, you don't have to be afraid. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But here's the thing. I was thinking, how many things happen in our lives that aren't even missile threats? Because what happened in that moment wasn't that Matt or Brad found a piece. It exposed what they had already found. And it's supposed to be like that. We're not supposed to fall apart when we get a text message. Because our hope isn't in what that text message says being true or false. Our hope is in Him. And so, in our lives, like I, I feel like every day there's things that happen, but, but, but maybe not every day to that extent, but... But we face things, and every day it exposes to the people around us. Because here's the thing. Guess whose words now carry way more weight when he's speaking to people about the things he's already been talking to them about. About the peace you can find in God. About how your hope isn't simply for this lifetime. How you have a greater truth that carries you no matter what comes. When, when, when there's a missile coming and everybody's freaking out, and you're not because you're still standing on the thing you were standing on before the missile was coming... Suddenly, when there's a false alarm, everybody has to ask themselves why you weren't freaking out. Nobody can deny that you had a peace and that when you walked into the room and said to them, listen, we're going to be fine. Matt said, I, went alone, I got alone in my room and I prayed and I knew, it was a, I knew it was false. And I just walked out and said, it's false. There's nothing coming. And he said, I was 100% confident. He said, it wasn't even like a prophetic thing. He said, I just knew because I know my life's not supposed to end this way. But want to bet there were people who have watched him preach the gospel on the job sites and in the homes. want to bet there were friends that he was texting to calm them down and reassure them that he's been texting about other things all along. And suddenly, because he's not falling apart, because there's actually something to this gospel that he believes, the next time he speaks to them, his words carry a weight because it exposed that it really is real in his life. And they can't deny the panic that they felt, but they also can't deny the peace that he carried. When your life doesn't fall apart, when everybody watching thinks it should, there's a weight that comes with that and there's an authority when you speak. You don't find it in that moment. That's not where you find it. It just exposes whether or not you'd found it. And we get opportunities like that presented to us all the time where people watching our lives will be able to tell what we believe and what we're anchored in. There should be something different about us. There should always be something different. So, um, I just, I just want to, just, just before we get into the message even, just challenge our hearts with that. Is Like if we got that text message, where would our hope be? Would it be in figuring out where we could crawl down a hole somewhere? I'm not saying there's anything wrong with that. If you get to a shelter, you know, go to a shelter. But what I'm saying is, is, would our only hope be from things that we could understand or things that we could do or things that we could put our hands to 
or following logic and wisdom and reason, would we only have the same hope that anybody else has or would we have a greater hope? Would we be able to stand and boldly declare to people, listen, it's going to be fine. My life doesn't end like this. I've got a promise that says, though a thousand fall at my left hand and a ten thousand at my right, it will by no means touch me. Only with my eyes will I look on and see the destruction of the wicked. I'm going to be fine. And the truth of the matter is, to live is Christ and to die is gain. And if, that, if it was to end today, that's okay because I'll take my last breath when I exhale on earth, the next breath I'll inhale, I'll be standing looking into the face of the one that I love. Like we could live with that conviction, you guys. That's where you, it's exposed. Like is this real? Or in that moment is all I can think about is what's in this world and all my hope is gone because my hope is not centered and anchored on Him. See, he came and said that we could find peace. He said, in me, you have peace. What does that mean? It means if I'm in him and he's in me, there's a peace there. He promised I would have. When these storms come in your life, let it expose you. And if you find yourself freaking out, okay, don't condemn yourself, but go find out why. Get alone with him and say, Father, what is it that I don't believe? What is it that I don't see? What is it that's not anchored, centered, and in my heart, God? How do, because you said that I, in me, I, in you, I'd have peace, and I believe I'm in you. Why didn't I have peace? What is it that I lack? And just be honest with ourselves. Not that it's not hard. Not that we don't shed tears. Not that things don't come and, and feelings don't rise up. Listen, those feelings come. And they're not. They're not fake, but they're not our master either. They're not supposed to be your master. You can only serve one. And if we've made him Lord, we've already decided which one that is. The rest of life is just walking out that yes, no matter what presents itself as an opportunity to master us. Um, If you have your Bibles... Open them up to uh, Matthew chapter 21. Um, it's a familiar passage. I've preached from here before, but, but starting with, started last week with the message that I spoke last week about you know, Jesus coming and, and giving the example of the house built on sand, the house built on rock. And he said you know, that he who hears my words and puts them into action, I'll liken him to a man who built his house upon the rock. But he who hears my words and does not act upon them, I'll liken him to a man who built his house upon the sand. And it really stood out to me that both of them heard the word of God. That, that sometimes when I would hear that story, it would almost be like, well, he's talking about Christians and not Christians, and, and, and possibly so, you know, whatever. But the truth of the matter is, is both people heard his words. It's not talking about those who don't hear my words and build their life on something else. He said those who hear my words and put them into action are different than those who hear my words and don't put them into action. Meaning what? Meaning he's talking about people that both could probably tell you what he said. And there's difference between the two. It's not that they didn't hear. The difference is, is that what they heard didn't make a difference in the way that they lived. And so I was, I was drawn to this passage earlier and, and actually got to show me some Stuff that wasn't in my notes, so I'm going to try to get through it again. But um, chapter 21, I mean, uh, yeah, chapter 21, verse 28, he says, So what do you think? Jesus is talking to the Pharisees. This is a man had two sons, and he came to the first and said, Son, go work in my, today in my vineyard. And he answered, I will not. But afterwards, he regretted it and went. The man came to the second and said the same thing, and he answered, I will, sir. But he did not go. Which of the two did the will of the Father? 
They said the first. Jesus said to them, Truly I say to you that the tax collectors and prostitutes will get into the kingdom of God before you. God, I thank you for your word. I thank you that it is alive. God, that as we read and speak and, and meditate on and put this implanted, Peter, as, as Peter said, that this word implanted in us, that as it implants itself in us, it, it produces fruit in our lives, God. And I just thank you for that. I ask that you would breathe on your word today. Make it alive to us and let it change us, God. Let us hear your word and act on it. In Jesus' name. Amen. So, so here's Jesus telling this story to the Pharisees. and He says, a father has two sons. He goes to one son and he says, son, I'd like you to go work in the vineyard today. And the son looks at the father and says, I will, sir. And then walks away and doesn't go work in the vineyard. And then he goes to the other son and he says, son, I'd like you to go work in the vineyard today. And the son says, I'm not going to do it. But then he walks away and he regrets or he thinks differently about it, has second thoughts, and he actually goes and does it. And the thing that, that I've, I haven't really pondered in this, and, and the thing that I guess I, I didn't consider before when I've read this or that God hadn't illuminated to me was, what if both of them meant what they said at the moment? I've always, always read this and been like, well, one was a liar and one, you know, they were both liars and, 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 and you know, one said I'm going to and he tried to fool the father um, and, and never went and did it. And the other one said that he wasn't going to, but then went and did it and, and all that. But, but what if both of them actually meant what they said in the moment? What if the one who said I will actually intended in his heart and in his mind at that moment to go and do what God asked him to do? And then he walked away, and somewhere between the yes and the vineyard, something happened. And, and the same with the other son. What if in the moment he replied, I'm not going to do it, somewhere between the no and the vineyard, something happened. Because... Sometimes when God tells us to do... Listen, I would love if every time God told me to do something, my immediate response was, yes! Yay! Let's do this! That's not always what it's like. Because sometimes the thing He asks you to do is the very thing you don't want to do. Sometimes it's something maybe you said you would never do. I remember when I first got asked to pastor a church, I said, no! They asked me again. I said, no. I don't want to be a pastor. I like my life. I did. But here I am. Because somewhere between the no and standing here today, something happened. But I wish I could say, like, the first time I felt like the Lord was asking me to pastor a church, my response was, yes, I'll do it. Awesome. Yes, Lord. How do we go about that? That wasn't how it went. 
And there's a chance that maybe there's things in your life that God's asked you to do that your immediate response hasn't been that either. And I say that not to, to, to give us an excuse. I'm saying we can find that in the life of Jesus so there's a chance that at least one thing He asks you to do, you may have the same response. Because He asked Jesus to go to a cross, be beaten, and die for our sins, have the sin of humanity placed upon Him. And Jesus, right before He goes and does it, gets alone with the Father and says, God, if there's any other way, let this cup pass before Me. What's He saying? God, I really would rather do anything but this. If there's any other way, let this pass. But, nevertheless, not My will, but Your What's He saying? God, I really don't want to do this. And if there's any other way we can do it, let's do that. But if this is the only way, then let what you want be done, not what I want to be done. His immediate response was not, glory, hallelujah, let's get it on. It wasn't. He actually was in the garden Sweating like drops of blood, it says. And his spirit was disturbed. Sometimes the thing he's calling you to do is not something that sounds fun at the beginning. And, and so maybe here's what happened. And, and I just, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm just processing this out loud. I, I think it's, it's possible. What if when he went to the, to the first son and he said no, the, the first son, when he says, I want you to go work in the vineyard, the first son thinks to himself, I don't want to go work in the vineyard. It's hot. I mean, it's, it's 8 o'clock in the morning right now and it's already hot. You know what it's going to be like at 2? In the vineyard with no shade? And... I kind of was thinking today I might go down to the well and see if there's any Samaritan women hanging out. Well, think about it, right? Like, where are you going to go and meet women if you're living in that time? A good place to go would probably be to the well after breakfast. They're all coming down to get water. That's not what I wanted to do. And so he immediately hears it and says, no, I'm not going to do that. But he walks away and something happens. Maybe a few things happen. What if after he walks away he starts remembering the kindness and the goodness of the Father? And he starts thinking about all that's happened in his life through obedience. And he starts going, you know, there's been other things that I haven't really wanted to do, but every time I've said yes to something he's called me to, it's been amazing. And what if he didn't want to go into the vineyard because maybe that day they weren't harvesting? Because harvest is kind of fun. And you can eat the grapes because that means they're ripe. And, and you're seeing the reward of all this effort. The harvest is awesome. And everyone's in a good mood because you're about to make wine. And then everyone's in a really good mood because you have wine. Well, I mean, you see the fruit of your labors. And so, 
But maybe what they were doing that day wasn't harvesting. Maybe they were pruning. Maybe this was a time where they were taking what had been planted long ago and was growing to the place of being fruitful but wasn't quite fruitful yet and actually working on it and pruning and preparing it so that it could bear fruit. And there's not really much glamour in that. There's not really a whole lot of fun in the pruning process. It's actually kind of messy because you're cutting all these things off and instead of putting them into baskets that get shipped off, you have to collect them and take them somewhere to burn. And you don't talk about on a hot day when you get a burn pile going, it's even hotter and it's, it's hard work. And it's not immediately rewarding. But you're doing it because you believe that it's worth it and you know that it needs to be done and that one day you'll reap the fruit of the season and the days of pruning. What if, go a step further, what if they weren't even pruning existing, what if they were planting new vines? What if what they were doing, they would never see the reward of in their lifetime? But they believed it needed to be done because someday, somebody would enjoy the fruitfulness of their obedience today. You realize that in our lives, We could be in any of those seasons. We could be in all of those seasons at the same time. And God could be asking you to do any of those things. And I promise you, everyone wants to go when it's time to harvest. When it's time to pick and enjoy the reward. But there have to be people who see the value in pruning. And there have to be people who see the value in planting. Or there's no day of harvest coming for anybody. There also have to be people who in the time of harvest are also looking for what needs to be pruned and looking for what needs to be planted because they understand, I can't enjoy this forever. There has to be things that are done to make sure that there's another this next year and that there's another crop of these coming so that the next generation can have the same experience and even greater. So maybe it wasn't harvest day and so maybe the young son walked away going, I'm tired of planting. But as he's walking away, he starts thinking about it and he thinks, you know, every time my dad's asked me to do something, even the things that I haven't wanted to do, every time I've done it on the other side of that, there was always reward. And even when I couldn't see the value in the moment, when I just did it because I knew what he was calling me to do, there was a day that I could look back and I could see the value of that decision. Even though at the time I couldn't see it. That's called living by faith. It's easy when everything's laid out before you and you know why you're doing and you know what you're doing and you know what's going to happen and the reward. When it's time to harvest, you know. I go into the, the, to the vineyard. I pick the, pick the grapes. They get sent to the, to the wine press. They press them. When it comes out, it goes into the fermenting things. When it ferments, it turns into wine. When we pour it into bottles and we share it with everybody, everybody's happy. I know why I'm doing it. I know what I'm doing and I know the end result of it. That's the easy time. But what about if He's calling you to do something that you don't see how it's going to lead to fruitfulness? You just have to trust that it will. What if He's calling you to dig a hole, drop a seed into it, bury it up, and then tend to that little thing as it grows up and it's young and it has no ability to bless you? It can do nothing for you. All it can do... You ever feel like that? Like, all I do is give. There may be a time where you're called to pour yourself into something that can offer nothing in return. 
during that time. There may be a time that what He's asking you to do pays no immediate rewards, but you trust that one day what He wants will happen and that's reward enough. Where we're actually living by faith and saying, God, even though this little thing right here can do nothing for me, even though it's years from having a first crop of grapes, even though it's going to need constant watch and it's fragile and it's going to need constant nourishment and it can't even, right now its roots are so fragile, I have to make sure that it gets what it needs for a time because it's still putting down roots and it can do nothing for me and it can offer me nothing in return. It's worth it because I believe in the process and I believe that if you've called me to do it, one day I'll live in the fruit of this day. No matter how easy or not easy it is. Come on, so maybe the younger son was thinking these things and he starts remembering that. And then here's a possibility. What if the community of people that he was friends with, when he walked up to them and said, Hey, what are you guys doing today? He said, We're going to the vineyard. Because that's where we're supposed to go today. We were told to go to the vineyard today, so that's where we're going. What if he surrounded himself with people whose will it was to do the will of the Father? So that even when he had a day where he didn't feel like it, he was being pulled into and, and, and brought into what the Father wanted because that's what the people he'd surrounded himself with were doing. What if when he said, yeah, I know, I just I don't feel like it's worth it, they could surround him and say, it's not worth it? Don't you remember and start telling him the stories and reminding him and bringing him in remembrance of everything that God had done and how he'd been so faithful and every promise that he'd fulfilled and telling them, listen, I know you don't feel like it right now. And, they're t- and he's, he's looking at them going, but it's, it's, it's so hot out there and there's no shade and all we're doing is pruning and there's, you know, you, you've got to take it to the, to the burn pile and all that. I mean, isn't it hot out there? And they're going, I don't even know. Like, yeah, maybe it's hot, but I don't even notice it because what we find in the vineyard is so worth it. Because when we go where He calls us to go, there's always something there for us. He's never just making us busy. He's never looked down at your life and been like, they're having too much fun. I should ruin it by making them busy doing something that doesn't matter. I promise you. Your school teacher might have done that. But God has never looked down from heaven and thought, look at them enjoying the life I created them for. They're having a little too much fun. I'm going to give them some worthless, insignificant, busy work to do so that they have something to do that they don't like because I'm not interested in seeing them. No, promise you, if He's ever called you to something, it's because there's something there for the kingdom and for you. What if those people looked at Him when He said, it's so hot and you, know, you get thirsty and all that, and they look at Him and said, listen, we have everything we need and you wouldn't even you you would just be so amazed at what we found when we go into the vineyard. And all of a sudden the younger son starts to change the way he thinks because he remembered the faithfulness. Something happened. Something happened between no I won't and him being in the vineyard doing what God called him to do. And here's the deal. If we'll surround ourselves with people whose will it is to do the will of the Father, what did Jesus say? When they came to him, remember he's in the house and the crowd's there and he's teaching and he's having a good time with all these, these people who are following him and the word comes, they say, your mother and your brothers want you. And he looks at them and says, who is my mother and who is my brother? He that does the will of my Father, that is my mother and that's my brother. What's he saying? 
He's saying, I want to be surrounded with people who are doing the will of my Father. If Jesus felt the desire and the need to surround himself with people who were doing the will of the Father, and he needed that to be Jesus, I promise you we need that if we're going to try to be like him. Think about, I mean, just think about some of the things we see in the life of Jesus. Just a side note on this, right? Do you know Jesus had habits? Jesus had ethos, which is the Greek word for a a habit that's learned by doing repeatedly. Do you know one of them was to go to the synagogue on the Sabbath? Well, I don't have to go to church to be a Christian. We're not arguing that. Because the goal isn't to just say I'm a Christian. The goal is to be like Jesus. And if Jesus made a habit of going to the synagogue every Sabbath, maybe we should. Maybe he knew something we didn't. Maybe when he said, follow me and teach them to obey all the things I've commanded you, he meant the things I've said and the things you've observed in my life, and that would have been one of them. Well, you say that because you're a pastor. No, I say that because I've seen the value in it when I've followed Jesus. And if I believe he's to be trusted in everything else, why wouldn't I believe that he's to be trusted in that? Jesus says, what is his habit? Went off to be alone with the Father and pray. Is his ethos. What is he saying? If Jesus needed to get alone and go seek the will of the Father in order to walk in the will of the Father, there's a good chance that you and I need to do the same. If he made a regular habit of doing it. So, so is that what you're saying? You, no, I'm just saying, listen, if, if I, you, maybe you don't have to do those things to be a Christian. I don't even want to argue that with people. But I'm saying if Jesus needed to do that to be Jesus and he's the goal, that maybe we should find ourselves doing some of those same things. And not because it's a burden, but because we see that if he valued it, there's value in it even if I don't see it in the moment or even if I don't feel it in the moment. We got quiet in here. I mean, none of you guys, you know. Uh, This is for the podcasters. They're the ones that aren't at church right now anyways. No, but... So, so the son says no, and, 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 but now think about the older son, right? The oldest, uh, I say the older, it doesn't say that in the Bible, that's just the way I think of it. The other son, he comes to Jesus and he says, I'll do it. And for everybody watching, you would think, wow, what an amazing job that dad's done with that son. He asks him to do something, and he says, I will, sir. It doesn't matter what people watching would say about you. It doesn't matter what you say that people hear. It's what you do that determines whether or not you're obedient. Jesus says, listen, which one of these is the one that did the will of the Father? They said, well, the one that actually went and did it. Why? Because he did something. Because it wasn't lip service. So, so maybe, maybe the older son, maybe this is, and this is what really shook me when God showed me this. Maybe he had every intention when he said, I will, of going and working in the vineyard. Intentions mean nothing. If they're not followed through on, intentions mean zero. But what if he really intended on going and working in the vineyard? Here, here, maybe, this, maybe this is what happened. He comes and he hears what God... How many of you guys have ever had God call you to something and you said yes to it in a moment and then you found yourself having a hard time keeping that yes? I know at least one person in this room who has. Now there's two. Okay. Maybe there's a few. 
maybe some of us know people who have said yes to something, but then when it was actually time to do it, had a harder time in the doing than they did in the saying. Because the saying sometimes is really easy. I can say yes in a moment to go and work in the vineyard. But the doing actually requires that I get my tools. I get out there and I do what's required of me, even if it's not something I enjoy, even if it's not something that I understand, and even if it's something that I don't see the point or the value of in the moment, because I trust that He does. And that He's never called me to something that didn't have a kingdom result in mind. And so the, young, the oldest son, and I really believe this, that maybe he really meant it. Like, I don't think that in that moment he looked at his dad and said, I'm going to lie to him. I, I don't think the youngest, or the other son who said no, was like, I, mean, I know what I'm going to do. I'm going to underpromise and overdeliver. That's <laughs> what you do in business, right? You tell someone it'll take you four days, you know it'll take you three, but you tell them four, that way when you do it in three, you're a hero. You over underpromise and you over-deliver. I don't think that's what the younger son was doing. I don't think he was strategizing, going, how can I really impress the father? I know what I'll do. I'll tell him no, but then I'll go and do it. So I'll, I'll trick him and he'll see that I really am obedient. No, he's not doing, I think he in his heart was like, I don't want to, no. And I think the old, the other son when he said, I will, I think he meant it. But somewhere between saying yes and finding himself working in the vineyard, something happens. What if, what if it's the same with the, the other son? He ran into his friends. But instead of them heading out to the vineyard, they were heading to the well because the Samaritan chicks were coming. Or, or what if, what if this? Because sometimes it's not just complete, like flat out, you know, disobedience in, in its rawest form. Sometimes it's dressed up. What if he said to his friends, hey, uh, guys, you know, um, the father asked me to go out into the vineyard and work. And, and they were like, oh, yeah, let's do. Um, but you know what? We've decided, um, we've decided this. We've decided to stay here and intercede and pray for those that are out there in the vineyard. Because they'll get way more done with people praying for them while they're out there than they would if we didn't. Oh, that, that might be true if that's what God's called you to. Because there was a time when He said, pray that the Lord of the harvest would send laborers. There was also a time where He said, grab a partner and head out and do the work. And if they would have, when he said, go out and take a partner and go do the things I've taught you to do, said to him, you know what, that's, that's a great idea. And, and we appreciate that and see the value. And for some people, that is what they're called to. But remember that time when you told us to pray? We're going to go do that. We're going to go in inner... In fact, someone's got a guitar... They wrote some songs about going in the vineyard. We're going to sing songs about it too. Okay, so you don't really need to go out there in the hot, sweaty vineyard, do you? Think about it. You could stay here and intercede and we could have a time of worship. We've wrote some killer songs about the vineyard. 
we got this one about the harvest. You've got to hear it. When so-and-so leads it, oh my gosh, just the anointing. Look, that's all well and good if God's called you to a time of intercession and worship. But when God said go out into the vineyard, He meant go out into the vineyard, not pray that God would send people out into the vineyard. How many times are we going to pray for God to send laborers when God sent the laborer in us? Oh God, would you send laborers in their path? And God's going, I did. God, would you just send someone that knows the truth? What about you? You see the need? You have the truth? Why are you praying for me to send somebody else? What if you're the answer to the prayer of someone who can't be there? So the older, the other son's like, yeah, I'll do it. He has every intention of doing what the Father wants. But somewhere between yes and the vineyard, something happens. So hard. See, all the things that the other son thought of maybe up front. Remember when Jesus said, count the cost? The one son says yes, but then when he counts the cost, decides that the cost isn't worth it. One son says no, but when he counts the cost, he realizes the cost of disobedience far outweighs the cost of the obedience to go out into the vineyard. And he goes. And so the the other son says, y'all go. Here's the thing. It doesn't matter if the people around you would say that you're an obedient son if you're not in the vineyard. It doesn't matter what your title is. It doesn't matter what the community of people around you say about you. Those things are good things. And I, I want people to speak well of me. It means that I've made a positive impact on their life. But if I'm speaking, people are speaking well of me and I'm in the courtyard and God told me to be in the vineyard, it doesn't matter how great a worship leader I am in the courtyard. I'm not a laborer in the vineyard like I'm supposed to be. And all the praises of man won't make up for the disobedience in my heart. Because when I stand before Him to give account, listen, it says we'll all stand before Him and give account of our words, our deeds. It's just the truth. When I stand before Him and He says, I, I, I told you to go to the vineyard, I can't be like, all right, listen, I, the, the, the defense would like to call Mindy and Colin, Zach and Madison, and my wife Patty. I would like to call them up and God, they can tell you about all the things I did do. And then maybe you'll change your mind. You'll see it was actually better that I didn't go into the vineyard. No, 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 that's not going to happen. There's not going to be anybody else standing there. Your reputation will do nothing for you. The only thing that will matter is obedience. That's why Jesus said, He who hears my word and acts on them, I'll liken him to a man who builds his house upon a rock. Why? Because when a storm comes, when a missile comes, your house isn't shaking because there's a foundation there that's unshakable. So then, he says to them, which of the two did the will of his father? They said the first. Jesus said to them, truly I say to you that the tax collectors and prostitutes 
will get into the kingdom of God before you. Why did he say that to people who had a reputation and whose words were so good? Who was the tax collector? Matthew? Zacchaeus? They weren't highly thought of by people. But when Jesus said, follow me, Matthew actually followed him. When he told Zacchaeus, come down out of the tree, I'm going to your house today, Zacchaeus came out of the tree and brought Jesus into his house. Who is a prostitute? Well, by all accounts, Mary Magdalene. What about Rahab? What if what Jesus was saying in this was, these people that you looked down on because what you saw or what they said wasn't perfect, but actually did what I called them to do, they're the ones who are actually going to get into my kingdom. And you who say everything right and have a reputation with people and that from the outside look perfect but aren't actually in the vineyard like I've called you to be, you're not going to get in. That's, this is, I mean, that's, you know, write an email to Jesus. It's His words. You just let it land where it lands. So I just want to, I want to close up with this. That as I'm talking today, I promise there are people in here that are remembering things that they know God's called them to. And they've let any and every excuse keep them from actually going into the vineyard. I don't know exactly what the vineyard is. It could be a relationship that you need to go restore. It could be something that needs to be done. It could be something he's called you to. It could be a job he's called you to take or a job he's called you to give up. It could be any number of things. And, 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 I, and I bet that there's some people on both ends of the spectrum in here that as I'm speaking, there's things that you know he's called you to that you've said yes to, but yet you haven't done or you've said no to, but you know you have to. I just want to encourage you, for one, surround yourself with a group of people that if you were to walk away from the Father telling you to do something and you had thoughts of being disobedient, would actually encourage you into obedience. And... If what He's called you to seems hard or you can't see why, start reminding yourself of the, of the reward of every time that you were obedient to what He called you to. Start, David says, Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not His benefits, who pardons your life from, from the pit and redeems you and, and heals all your... What's he saying? He's saying, listen, when, when, I'm, when my feelings aren't what, I, what, what don't line up and I don't feel like it, what I start doing is I start remembering His faithfulness. When, he, when, if, when it seems like the vineyard's going to be hot and sweaty and stinky and that's the last thing I want to do, I start reminding myself, yeah, but every time He's called me to something, the reward on the other side of obedience was more of Him. And the reward was always worth it. And what if the Father was just simply saying this, Son, one day I want to give this vineyard to you, but I can't entrust you with the vineyard to own if I can't entrust that one day you'll go there and work for a day if I ask you to. I want to give it to you for a lifetime, but first I just want you to be faithful for one day working in it everything i have is going to be yours i want i have so much i want to give you 
But I can't entrust you with a vineyard if you're just going to let it get run down. If you won't be faithful to keep planting so that other people can reap one day. If you won't be faithful to prune. Because you're looking at it going, yeah, but right now, it's the biggest it could possibly be. And if I cut some away and God's going, listen, just trust me, cut some away and I'll make more grow in and it'll provide more fruit. I promise you, there's something he's called you to that you said yes to and you walked away from he's still calling you to it he hasn't changed his mind he still has that desire if it's possible for you to still do it if it's not get before him and repent god i'm sorry i know you called me to this and i feel like that window of opportunity is closed but i'm just standing here to say like send me to another vineyard i'll go If there's something that maybe you said yes to, but you're not actually doing. Like you've heard the words of Jesus and it sounds good in theory. And when you counsel other people, it's this is what you should do, but you're not actually doing it yourself. You've said yes to it with your mouth, but with your life, you're still holding on to a no. Just get before him and ask him, God, what is it that I don't see or understand that would keep me from doing what I know you've called me to do? There was a time when my heart actually wanted to do those things. And now it doesn't. God, what's happened? How has my heart changed from wanting to say yes to not doing what it is I said yes to? Because between my yes and where I'm at now, something changed, God. Help me see what that is. Is it the people I'm surrounding myself with? Is it the things I'm giving myself to and my time to? God, what is it that has changed from my yes to where I'm not in the vineyard, God. Show me what that is. Search my heart, God. Because I want my yes to be yes. God, I just thank You for that. I thank You that You've called us, God, into this season of just really examining where we're at with You, Father, and, and discovering all these places where we can just anchor in You, God. And I thank You that it's not a condemning thing, that it's always a calling us up to more, God. That you're not trying to point out where we're not. You're trying to show us where we can be, God. And what you've called us into. And that everything you've asked us to do. Listen, if the son was like, I don't know how to work in the vineyard, and I don't have the tools. Okay, but if he just would have went to the vineyard, maybe he would have found out there was someone waiting there to show him who had a set of tools for him. God never said, figure out if you're capable. He said, go do it. Meaning what? You're capable of doing this if you just go. And sometimes we're going, well, okay, maybe I'll get a book about vineyards and maybe I'll start looking for a good deal on some tools. And all the while, there's a man waiting in the vineyard that knows everything you need to know and he's got a brand new set of tools that the Father gave him to give to you. Everything you need is where he's called you to be. So God, I just thank You that we trust You in that, God. That even if we don't understand it, and even if there's something in us that doesn't feel like it, God, that we would rely on You more than our feelings. And that we would let our yes be yes, God. In Jesus' name, Amen.